0: Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Welcome to City of Life Church. My name is Pastor Justin. I'm an associate pastor here on behalf of our entire team. Thank you, thank you for joining us. It's a great day to be here. And when something like that starts to flow in the room, it's, it's an opportunity to be stirred in your faith. Sometimes you've got to get stirred up in your faith and if you haven't even said the phrase new ways new wells in a couple months maybe it's time to remember what God told you and start to use it to map out where you currently are because sometimes the prophetic Word of God gives us clarity in moments of confusion. And if life feels a little disorienting right now, maybe you can apply what He already told you it would look like and it starts to, oh, it starts to make sense. It's like, oh, wait a minute, He prepared me for this. He prepared our church for this. He prepared my life for this. He prepared our businesses and our marriages and our families. It's a new way, which means it's going to be a little bumpy sometimes. But it's also going to bring about things that we've never seen before. And I speak that over you, that you are not lost, you're not off track. You are pioneering something new this year. It's different. And a new well means you're gonna have to dig different than you have before. Woo! I'm preaching to myself right now. You're gonna have to dig differently than you have before you're going to see something spring up that has never been seen. I declare it that 2023 will be a year that unlocks resource, not just practical, but spiritual resource in your life for years to come. I speak that over us because I've been, I'm, I'm living the life you are too. And I know that it's, it's tough out in these streets. This year is different, but God is in it. We cannot be fatalists. We can't be like the world who has no hope and just feel like everything's Everything's falling apart. No, God is good. He's faithful and he's with us. He's a firm foundation. And 2023 doesn't shake that rock that has stood for ages. The rock that held his people through persecution and slavery and exile. We're standing on the same rock and even the gates of hell will not overcome it. Whoa! you came on a good Sunday (laughs) because I know my faith is stirred with you. Welcome to church, man. If it's your first time here, I'm loud. Um, And so it's nice to meet you. Uh, No, my name is Justin and I'm one of the associate pastors here. I grew up in this church. If you are new here, never been here, this is a place that you can call home. I met my wife here when I was eight years old, and now we're married, have a seven-year-old who's over in Kids Church too, and we're just just a family who is part of the testimony and story here. And I'm living proof of the promise in Scripture that those who are planted in the house of God will flourish. I'm living proof of that. Living proof. And it takes a lot to stay planted, but you, you have what it takes. You have what it takes. Stay planted. So on behalf of our entire team, our founding pastors, who you got to hear from, our senior pastors, Pastor Jeff and Amy Smith, we're glad that you're with us. And today I get the honor of concluding a series here called Parables, the stories that shape us. And uh, I'm, I'm really, really thrilled about it. So we're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, our final parable that we're covering in this series. It's a parable you may be familiar with, it's called the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. And I'm going to read just a bit and then we'll get started. So Luke 10, 25. Now this story happens in a story. So it's a story in a story. <sighs> okay, and so like I need you to kind of stick with me here. So. We're seeing in the book of Luke, a narrative account of Jesus speaking with someone. So we're learning about this event that happened. And then in speaking to this person, Jesus tells a story as part of the conversation. So we're getting like a cinematic view of a story that Jesus is telling in a conversation. So we have to know the conversation to understand the story. Luke 10, 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Here we go. Stood up to test him. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? First of all, Jesus did not get nervous when people tested him or asked him questions. Neither do you have to get so like, oh no, they're testing me. We don't have to get on the defense just because people are on the offense. Jesus just turns it back. He says, how do you read it? And the man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. So do this and you'll live. That made him mad. (laughs) Verse 29, but now he wanted to justify himself. God help me, I've been that man. I've wanted to justify myself. So we asked Jesus, So who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus told a story. If I'm mad and I ask you a question and you start telling me a story, (laughs) I'm gonna get even more mad. (laughs) But that's the story. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. We're gonna get to the full story, but I'm gonna pause there. This is the parable of the good Samaritan. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your word would speak to us today. Thank you so much for this prophetic moment of promise that you reminded us of in worship today. And I thank you that there is nothing more prophetic than your word. So speak into our lives today at this halfway Sunday of 2023. The next time we gather, will be in the second half. I believe that there's purpose. I believe that time is not flying by. I believe we are being led by a good shepherd. And even though it might look like a valley of a shadow of death, we fear no evil because you're with us. I know where you're taking us, God, because you told us. Green pastures, still waters, a table prepared in the presence of our enemies. So we take heart today and we're going to keep following you. Forgive us for questioning whether or not you're even aware of what's happening. You're so involved. You're so close. And today we resensitize ourselves to that. Let this story minister to us. Let it challenge us and allow me to deliver it with honor. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So this whole parable exists because of a question. Uh, Basically a lawyer asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Define it for me, Jesus. Tell me. It sounds like a lawyer question, right? Like this man is standing up testing Jesus. And we have to know a bit about the world in which Jesus told this story. Because I think at first glance, you can maybe grasp some of the concepts. But there's a lot missed by living in a completely different time, and a completely different culture. So Jesus was telling this parable to a Jewish audience. He was surrounded by Jews. They understood a lot of the nuances that he was explaining. So let's start with verse 30. It says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. All right, just geographically, Jerusalem is high up and Jericho is down low. So when it says he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, it means he was literally coming down the mountain when he com- like, OK, that was bad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he was coming down the mountain. OK? I've been on this road. Granted, I was in a bus, but when we were, we were going up from Jericho to Jerusalem, and our bus was like this. <laughs> Okay, I need you to understand, I was like, we're not gonna make it. The engine was like I was like, we're not getting up there. They didn't have buses. This guy was literally having to like hike down this mountain from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Israel is crazy as far as terrain. I can remember when, when I lived there, in one day I saw snow and 110 degree heat. Just because I went from one part of, of Israel to another, because of the altitude difference unthinkable, like crazy stuff. The lowest place on earth is there at the Dead Sea, and then there's mountains. Like, it's, it's unthinkable how steep and how drastic some of these changes are. So this guy is coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and this is a treacherous road. It's a treacherous journey. It's very narrow, very steep. It's about 17 miles or six hours on foot that's a lot. That's quite a lot. Six hours on foot. And it was known as the way of blood because at this time it was infamous for robbers who would hide behind crevices and rocks and jump out and attack people because people are tired. They've got a lot of stuff with them. And it's like It's a prime opportunity to take advantage of travelers. That's the kind of road that Jesus is referring to, okay? And then he talks about some cultural dynamics. Since we're talking about Jews and Samaritans, it's vital that you understand some of these dynamics. So I'll touch on them later, but at least for now to understand that I think you know that the Jews were the the people of God from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, this lineage. It was a bloodline that grew into a people with tribes. And there was a, there was a, a, a staunch awareness of that bloodline. M- much of the Old Testament involved laws, and both ceremonial and civil, to protect that bloodline. God commanded the Jews not to go marry or intermix with others because God was pres- preserving for himself a people through which Christ would come. And then from Christ, he opened his promise to all people. That's way more, like way more than I can unpack in this one message. I just need you to understand the Jews were a bloodline, a group of people, a lot of them, by the way, a whole lot of them. And they were the people of God to whom which he made his covenant. Now, there was also a group of people called the Samaritans who were half Jewish But they were the people who had been intermixed. Because you know the minute God tells a group of people, hey, just don't do this one thing, what do they do? They do that one thing. And so the Jews did not keep their bloodline. They began to intermix. And so there became a group of people named the Samaritans who lived in Samaria, which is why they're called Samaritans. They were half Jewish, half a little bit of everything else. Now, still beautiful and valuable in God's eyes, but you can imagine Culturally, there was a little bit of tension, because there's the full Jew and then the half Jew, and it was downright racism, okay? That's what we're talking about, like downright racism. The Jews viewed the Samaritans as less than human, okay? Like animals, they despised them. They thought they were filthy. They would call them unclean, like it's really hard, but literally I was praying about this message. And I was like, how do I teach this message without being offensive? But the message is offensive. Like when Jesus said some of these words, people were like, oh, why are you talking about this? Like, I just want you to think about some of the most tense lines in culture right now. You fill in your blank. Who versus who are some of the most tense people? Jesus is talking about that kind of tension. I'll fill in some blanks later. I'm just nervous right now, so I'll get up to it. <laughs> it's really tense, and that is the racial, cultural tension that Jesus is talking about. And so as he starts this story, uh, and by the way, the Samaritans weren't like saints either. They were just as prejudiced back to the Jews. It was, it was tension in all directions. And so Jesus tells this story about a Jewish man one of their own, cause he's speaking to Jews and he's saying, hey, one of you was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he's being robbed. And as he tells his story, They might not even think it's a parable. They might think it's like a headline because this happens every day. People go down this road and they get robbed. So this is as believable and as practical as us hearing about an accident on (laughs) I-4. Like it's that practical about maybe violence in in a city somewhere, about a hurricane in Florida. Like he's telling a story that is all of us have experienced something like this. They get it. They know exactly what he means. And a while after this man is going down this road, he's robbed and beaten. and then the story commences. So we see verse here in, uh, we see here in verse 31, the man has been left for dead, and Jesus says, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. All right, so now things are getting a little tense, because in Jewish culture, there are three, uh, three positions for holy men. There was priest, first and foremost, then Levite, and then the layman. So these three functions, the priests were the most holy religious leaders in the temple. They ministered in the temple. They, they were the ones who connected the people to God and vice versa. Yeah. Then the Levite was kind of the assistant to the priest who made sure the functionings of the temple and everything was organized as it should be. And then the layman were some of the people who handled some of the more menial tasks. But these three positions, when Jesus is referring to them, he is really insinuating power, status, right? It would be like him saying, this man was robbed and the president started walking down the road and then the vice president and then the speaker of the house. Wow, there's a lot of <laughs> substance there too. But he's, ta- he's invoking cultural status. Like he's basically pulling rank here when he lists these characters. He's saying some of the biggest names you can think of, some of the most important people you can think of, the f- number one slot comes down the road And when he sees this man, he passes on the other side. Let's talk about this. Because the priest seems like a likely candidate to be the hero of the story. It's the priest. Like, clearly he's going to do his job. But this character ignores the, the bleeding man Passes on the other side. We have to unpack what that is. Do we think that this priest is just like evil and he's bad? I think there's maybe more nuance than that. And here's where a couple things get lost in our culture. There were so many ceremonial laws that priests had to abide by. So many. Like hundreds upon hundreds. And one of the main ones was having a significant distance from things that were dead or unclean or dying. Okay, A priest was not allowed to touch dead things, was not allowed to touch things that were about to die, or he would be considered unclean and have to go through a process of cleansing. Now, this comes into play when you see this moment where this priest sees this man bleeding and dying. I don't think the priest was heartless. I think the priest was calculating the risk. He's saying, yo. I don't think he said yo, but maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. He's from the south side of Jerusalem. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he says, "If I help this man, if I I can't even tell if he's alive. If I go touch him, and he happens to be dead, I ha- let me just tell you what it would look like. I have to stop everything. I can't see my family for seven days. I have to go through a process of cleansing. I have to rip these garments." and I can't wear them anymore. And mind you, these garments were probably pretty expensive, right? I'm going to have to be, take PTO for seven days. <laughs> I'm going to have to rip my uniform. I can't see my family. It is going to potentially cost me a lot. And he's like, ah, I was just trying to get home. What if he's already dead? Like me touching him would just inconvenience me, right? And then another factor comes in. The priest is not... Uh, bound by law to help every single person he sees, but he is bound to help Jews. And he has to determine maybe he's not even, I can't tell by his, there's, he's bleeding, he doesn't have any identification. Maybe I'm not even obligated to. Right? Like, if it was clearly a Jew, I'd clearly have to help, but I don't know. Maybe it's not on me. And I think he does this calculated analysis that we all do. He says, oh, Man, this looks like a lot of work. (laughs) This looks like it'll take more than 30 minutes. This looks like it's more than just handing what's in my wallet. This looks like a project. And I don't know if I have bandwidth for a project. And I think that this priest makes a very human, albeit sinful decision, but he just says, "I, I can't. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the bandwidth. I can't risk that. So he passes on the other side. It would be a total disruption to his life and his plans to help. So then after this, a Levite comes along. A Levite was basically the lower level or the assistant to the priest. Surely, Jesus' audience would think the Levite's gonna help. These guys, they work so hard. That's literally their job description is to get stuff done. He's a man of God. He serves on the dream team. He, he, he's certainly gonna see a person in need. Yet Jesus says that the Levite also passes him by. Verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So we see the same thing again. Jesus says the Levite passes him as well. Let's think about maybe what ran through this guy's mind. Because he's maybe not as ceremonially bound as the priest is. But he knew the priest went in front of him because he probably arranged the schedule. The Levite probably organized all of this. And the Levite has to think, well, if the priest passed this guy, right? Like, he didn't do it. I certainly don't have to do it. Right? Like, if it was okay for someone else to pass by, I can pass by. It's not like I'm causing the problem. I'm just not like intervening in the problem. Maybe there's something I'm missing. Maybe, and he talks himself out of it as well. Because if the priest can overlook it, then I can probably overlook it as well. To me, that puts, that indicates that sometimes we will look at the behavior of others as a compass for ourselves more than looking at the inner witness of what God is telling us. Just because other people are turning a blind eye to something doesn't mean that you should too. We don't always get it right. And I say that standing in the office of a pastor. My God, if you copied every single thing I do, you would be eating a lot of carbs. But other than that, that, you would be emulating a person rather than following the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, of course, yes, the hope is that leaders can, can, can really reflect to you the character and qualities of Jesus but leaders don't always get it right every single time. And I think this Levite takes the easy way out and saying, well, if the priest passed, I can pass. And he abdicates personal responsibility just because someone else did the same thing too. It's real easy for him to take that. I know I'm preaching hard, guys, I know. Stay with me, stay with me. This is, this is confrontational. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt the man on the ground was merely faking it and he was acting like that so that he could rob them and hurt them in order to seize them or lure them there for quick and easy seizure. And so the first question, this is Martin Luther, not me, it's good stuff. So the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? And I think that's the root of this story is that we see need, and the first question is, what's gonna happen to me? And I think real compassion says, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Turning an attention outward. This, isn't, this is a hot take of a story, because we don't even talk about compassion that much anymore. Like, I can feel the energy in the room right now, it's a little tentative, because we are wired, programmed for self-preservation. Every voice and culture tells you to take care of yourself. You look out for you. You speak your mind. You do your thing. You do you boo boo. (laughs) (laughs) And so it doesn't even feel repulsive that these men's questions were what's going to happen to me? Because that's what all of us ask every day of ourselves. What about me? What about me? What about me? But I think that is so antithetical to the compassionate heart of Jesus, what he's trying to illustrate here. How often are we faced with opportunities to do good, and our first instinct is self-preservation? When's the last time you had a chance to help, and your first instinct was, what's this going to mean for me? You're like, "Ah, I don't know. I don't know. This is complicated. This is tricky. If I stop people or if I stop to help people, I'll be late. If I talk to that person, it could make me look bad. That's gonna take a lot of work. It's interesting to me that often in our path, we find people with really significant need, people that seem like they're gonna require a lot of effort and attention and energy. And we try to look the other way and look the other way and look the way, but they just keep coming into the path, right? Maybe it's because God has called us to show compassion. And I think a lot of times, come on, give God some praise. A lot of times we're afraid of a project, but there are no projects, they're people. And we have to remember, we have been shown such grace and such love. Guys, by that same standard, I'm like the biggest project that God must have taken on. And I'm so glad he didn't look at me that way. I'm so glad he didn't look at me and say, (laughs) Justin is going to be a lot of work because he's going to act the part, and play the part for 20-something years until he hits rock bottom, and then I'm going to have to heal him, even though I offered to heal him before that, but then he's finally going to get out of his pride, and he's going to talk about it, and he's going to heal, and then he's going to start to get honest with himself, and then he's going to... That's going to be like 35 years of work until we even get in the right place. But he did that for me. And like my wife said, his love isn't just like, oh, he saved me back when. No, like he has saved me today. And he's loved me today. And he's present today. And he's active today. So we can't look at, far be it from us to look at people as projects. It's people. Or in the words of Jesus, it's neighbor. I am like you I am with you. I am near you. God has called us to love people, and that often involves risk. Risk to your time, risk to your money, risk to your reputation, and risk to your comfort. Yes. It means there's going to be times where you're going to invite someone to church, and you're going to think, what are people going to think when this person comes in church with me? That means you're doing it right. That means you are doing it right. Because if you think this is a fashion show or a place to bring polished people, you're in the wrong. This ain't no car dealership where we polish and wax things. No, bring it all in here. Because I came in here on my wits end and in my last bit of hope. That's the point. We sometimes get so concerned at what compassion will look like on us that we don't realize compassion isn't about us. We're here to serve and love others. So verse 33, now we get to the crux of the story. And this is where it gets wildly offensive. So we had a priest and a Levite. There is a progression. I don't have enough time to get into the ways that Jews told story, but they usually told stories in threes. Like they would say part A, part B, part C, and then the backside of part B, the backside of part A, like it would be well structured. And this story follows Jewish storytelling exactly. Jesus is a great storyteller, but it builds up and then takes a wild left turn. It's like like the twist in the sixth sense. Spoiler alert, it's been 20 years. You should know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So it sounds like Jesus is saying, first the priest came by. And then the Levite came by. And it sounds like he's about to say, and then the layman came by. Because those three characters are always together. It's supposed to go priest, Levite, layman. But Jesus takes this wild turn and says, Samaritan. We don't have a way to appreciate that, but I'm going to try. It's like he's telling the story of Goldilocks. And he says, Papa Bear, and then Mama Bear, and then Terrorist. It's literally like, Jesus, what kind of story is this? Why would you introduce that character? Because I was expecting baby bear. It's wildly uncomfortable. It's like him telling a story of the Wild West, and there was a cowboy, and he was laying on the street, and he had arrows in his back, and an Indian came. And picked him up and brought him into the saloon. Can you feel the tension there? Of an Indian walking in a saloon with a body with arrows in it, surrounded by other cowboys. That's like the tension. Can I bring it in 2023? It's like a women's march and a misogynist standing up because he sees a woman who fell and it's like, why are we even talking about this? It's like a civil rights rally and a racist standing up. Jesus, pick somebody else. (laughs) Like This is uncomfortable. It's like a convict being the hero in a story. Do you see the tension? See, we were laughing when I did the three bears. I did that one on purpose to soften you up. (laughs) But this is the real feeling that his listeners must have had. Like, oh God, why a Samaritan? Why a racist? Why a criminal? Like, Jesus, this is gross. Why are you telling this story this way? I love the tension, because that's what he's talking into. He says, a Samaritan came, and the lawyer's probably like, okay. And it says, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and then put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. This is so confusing because Jesus is taking one of the most vile characters in Jews eyes and he's making him the hero in this story using his own supplies to tend to his wounds. Now here's that storytelling that I was kind of referring to in part A of the story. A priest who was supposed to do a job to serve this man did not do it and now the Samaritan does it. He uses his supplies which is what the priest should have done. The priest was probably not walking he's probably riding and he had a lot of stuff with him because that's what priests had. He could have used the oil. You know that priest had oil. He's a priest, but he withheld his anointing. He withheld his anointing because he was afraid of what it would touch. Instead of realizing his anointing is meant to touch things. His oil is meant to touch certain things. His oil was meant to be poured out on people in need. He's a minister withholding ministry. Ooh, I could preach. He withheld the oil, and here then in the back half of the story, the Samaritan pours out the oil. The very thing that the priest failed to do, the very thing that maybe the church failed to do, this, Christ, this Samaritan pours out out of compassion. And then the Levite, who's the problem solver, he's the worker, he's the one who's supposed to get things done, could have picked this man up and solved the problem, but he didn't. The Samaritan puts him on the donkey, says, okay, I know there's an inn over here, let me make a plan. The person who could have strategized with assistance and help doesn't do it, and then this vile character ends up doing it. And Jesus is basically showing how the Samaritan made right all the wrongs of the others. And he gives two denarii to the innkeeper, which one equals a day's wage. And he gives two. That's like 33% of his paycheck. That's a lot. And he says, he doesn't even know the stranger's name. He doesn't even know this person. And he said, hey, here's this for now. And I'll be back if there's more debt. So if he charges anything to the room, put it on my card. (laughs) That was a funny joke, guys. (laughs) He says, whatever other expense there is, I will pay it. I'll be back, and I'll pay whatever else he incurs. Pretty crazy story. Uncomfortable, to say the least. But remember, it's a story within a story. All of this was an answer to one question. Do you remember the question? Who's my neighbor? So Jesus tells this whole story, and then he says to the lawyer, which of the three which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers the lawyer replied <clears throat> the one who had mercy he couldn't even say samaritan <laughs> he couldn't even do it he could not admit he said the one who had mercy and Jesus told him go and do likewise Jesus never answered who is my neighbor Because remember, the lawyer was testing Jesus. He was like, tell me what to do to get it right because he wanted to discredit Jesus because the lawyer and these religious leaders knew the law was so dense and so complex that if Jesus said, here's what you need to do, he would be maybe over-prioritizing one thing at the expense of all the others and the lawyer was ready to say, oh, Jesus told me to do this, but he didn't mention the dietary laws. Now I got him, he's breaking the law. Jesus never answered that because he wasn't gonna play into that trap. Also, the lawyer asked a dumb question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What do you do to inherit anything? Nothing. It's given to you. He didn't say earn. He said inherit. So his questions, you are really dumb. You're dumb. He's asking ridiculous questions. And then he just wanted to know, all right, who's my neighbor? Who do I love, Jesus? And Jesus says, stop asking that question. He said, I want you to focus on what it means to be a neighbor. Because if you know what it means to be a neighbor, you'll do it at every turn. I don't need to tell you who your neighbor is because what you want to hear is someone that looks like you and sounds like you and thinks like you and talks like you and acts like you. That's what you're wanting to hear. But God will surround you with people who don't look like you or think like you or talk like you or act like you so you can learn to love something other than you. He's trying to bring you out of yourself and show compassion to others. So who is my neighbor? I think the better question is how can I be a neighbor? What does it look like? It means that we offer compassion and help to those around us. Neither the priest nor the Levite viewed this man as his neighbor. But neighbors have some commonalities. Like when you're in the same hood... You likely have similar looking bank accounts. You likely have a similar drive home. You both struggle with the same dog that barks at night. (laughs) You live the same thing. And in this case, we see the priest and the Levite saying, I'm not like you. I'm not like you. I can step over you. You might be in the neighborhood of desperation, but I live a few streets over. I'm put together. Have you forgotten what he brought you from? Are you so comfortable in grace? that you forget what desperate feels like because your house is right next to desperate who's your neighbor it's anyone in need hear me who is my neighbor anyone in need and I want to apply this prophetic word over our church who is my neighbor anyone in need meaning there are new ways for you to serve new ways, open your eyes. I've never seen a time with more need than this one. People are hurting, people are aching, people are anxious, people are desperate. They are on wit's end. I cannot tell you the amount of times I just look at someone and say, hey, how are you really today? And tears flow. People are on edge. They are as desperate as this man lying in the street. And sometimes we get so consumed with our day that we are not available to new ways of helping. I'm a pastor. I believe in the power of the local church through and through. But I think that the power of the local church has to flow in this room, but also outside these doors. And go bring something to others. Because not every desperate, bleeding person was laying inside Jerusalem. Sometimes they're on the back road, way out there, and you're going to have to find them and bring them somewhere to help. We are the church. This is not the church. We are the church. And there's power where we go. And compassion that we can bring. Help others. Pray for others. And don't just say I'll pray for you. You place your hands in their hands and you pray right there in the Whole Foods or in the Publix or in the Bravo whatever supermarket you're in and you pray for them. You pray. Don't say like I don't know or should I pray? Are you a believer? It doesn't matter if they're a believer. You're a believer. You pray. You actually serve people. That's what it's like to pour out your oil. Don't keep that in a bottle just for you and your precious family and your church services where everyone agrees. Pour the oil out let it flow let it flow because it will heal and it will restore that wounded man when he got oil and wine poured on him do you think he was like "Ah, that feels good no it probably burned he probably didn't ask for it but it was healing him pour your oil out serve with compassion don't apologize for being a believer don't apologize for being light in the dark shine So who's my neighbor? Anyone in need. That's a new way. And What do I do? You meet the need. New wells. You dig deep. Don't just try to be the polite like surface kind of helper. You say, hey, what do you need? How can I help you? You pray. You give. You might have to pick them up for church. You might have to check in on them. Yeah, you might just end up in a situation where you're serving someone for a little more time than you want to. But that's what this Samaritan did. Bless someone in a way that it costs you something. And why do I help? Because I have been helped. The true helper is Jesus. He didn't live in our neighborhood, but he, cho- he chose to stoop low and as Eugene Peterson says, move into our neighborhood so he could understand our struggles. He moved into our lives. The enemy tried to destroy you and your destiny. He beat you up and left you for dead. You and I are like that man laying on the side of the road and people have come along, uh, alongside your life and they've looked at you and they said pobrecito and they stepped over and they said God bless you and they've stepped over. And where people failed you, Jesus stooped low and he held you. And if you focus on all the people who failed you, you'll never have compassion, you'll have resentment. Get your eyes off everyone who stepped over you and get your eyes on the one who bent low to love you. His name is Jesus. That's where your compassion comes from. That's where your compassion comes from. That even the most broken place would know that compassion. Jesus didn't turn his nose up at how dirty or broken your life looked. He was never afraid to step in. He poured his oil out. In your addiction, he poured his oil out. In your dishonesty, he poured his oil out. In your desperation, he poured that precious wine out to heal you. So why do you cringe at someone who's addicted, broken, messy? You were once in that state. And maybe you forgot, but maybe it's time to remember that you have been blessed to be a blessing. You have been blessed to be a blessing. And it doesn't matter how dirty or broken it looks, Jesus said, I'm committed to the finished product. And even though, I love this part of the story, the good Samaritan had to leave the hotel for a while. He said, I'm going to make sure he's okay now, and I'm coming back to finalize any payment. Jesus has made the same promise to you. He has given you life more abundantly, but he's also said, I'll come back and settle anything that needs to be settled. I'll bring justice in the earth. I'll redeem and vindicate my people. He's made down payment, and he'll make good on his commitment. It's not a story about good deeds and random acts of kindness. This isn't just pay it forward. This is represent Jesus in the earth. This is actually showing the character of Christ. If you think this is just pay it forward, you're missing it. It's represent Jesus in the earth. Show his compassion because he is the good neighbor to us. So much so that John 14 says this, Now I will go and prepare a place for you and I'll come back and take you to be where I am. He became our neighbor here so that we could become his neighbor up there. We've got a place in a gated community. Come on. Ready to go for us. He's made it possible. But there are others who belong there. Show compassion to those around you. Maybe you don't feel equipped. Maybe you don't feel like you know what to say or do. Just think of what Jesus did. Maybe you don't feel like I don't have anything to give. Yes, you do. Give grace, because you have so much of that. I don't know what to give them. Give forgiveness, because you've been given so much of that. Show mercy. I was speaking to someone this week, and they said, I've known this person for years, and they said, I've never thanked you for the fact that you don't show judgment. And I was like, that's not me. It's not just like Justin being nice. Like I am withholding judgment because that's what Jesus did for me. And I want you to know that mercy doesn't come from me. Mercy comes from him. Give that. Open your eyes. Practically, what does this mean? I don't want to overlook the actual definition of neighbor. Your literal neighbors, the people around you. I know those are the people you can be most annoyed at. True? I remember one time I was on a run in my neighborhood and I was like just trying to be grateful. We had just moved and I was like, God, thank you for home. Thank you for my family. Thank you for setting us here. I'm grateful. And he said, do you think you're here for your enjoyment or do you think you're here on assignment? And I had to stop my run. I was like, hold on. Hold on. And I literally remember like coming up and it was like new eyes. I saw faces differently. I realized that these neighbors weren't just people that I happen to live next to its mission that I'm on and having people in our home and getting to know the lives of those around us I can say I've seen six neighbors come to Jesus (laughs) since that day and I'm working on more (laughs) but I've just thought of this what if every Christian just just focused on their street just your street I think every street would be covered because God has you somewhere that he doesn't have me. What if you just went and talked to the people next to you? Because if you can't open your eyes for the people who literally live next to you, I have a feeling you can't open your eyes almost anywhere. Start there. Start right there. I'm giving you a practical assignment of how to be compassionate. You're like, no, but that's uncomfortable because you know, I get annoyed at their dog or I've made a weird face at them or I've never waved at them. Maybe that's time to, it's time to change that. Maybe it's time for you to actually be the light and inconvenience yourself. And I can hear it. It's like if I say hi to him now, now every time I come home, I'm going to have to say hi to him. Yeah, you might. You might. But Jesus did it for you. He greets you new every morning with new mercy every morning. Anything that you would do for someone else, Jesus has already done tenfold for you. So you can do it, believer. You can do it. And today if you feel like you're on the outside looking in, I want to pray for you. If you're here and you say, Pastor Justin, I need that kind of mercy and compassion. I feel like that person on the road and I don't know Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. If you're here and you say, I need Jesus, I want to pray for you. So if that's you, whether you're watching online or here in the room. If you're here in the room, I want you to just lift your hand so I can know who I'm praying for. If you're watching online, just type, I need Jesus. Yes, thank you. Thank you. That you want to be forgiven. That you want to follow him. Yeah, thank you so much. He is stooping low and holding you right now. Repeat this prayer with me, everyone in the room. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want to live for you from this day forward. From now on, it's Jesus first and Jesus always. Be my Lord and my King. In your name, amen. Oh, come on, can we celebrate with these who have lifted their hands? This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.